You're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. If you have your Bibles uh, with you, we're reading from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 20. Verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all, all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. Well, how about I pray as we get into God's word. Father, we thank you for the fact that you reveal yourself to us, that as our creator you want us to know you and you've shown us who you are through your word and through your son Jesus. And as we study this passage, as we learn more about Jesus, may we be changed by that, inspired by that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, what is your favourite thing in nature? What, what do you most appreciate about the world that we live in? Uh, I've got four things that I just really love. Uh, I love the wind. I, I just love walking in a cold, bracing wind. My, my wife is almost allergic to cold. She just has to rug up and everything. She's terrified of it. I just love it. I love it slapping against your face. It's so refreshing. I love trees. They're like these big, friendly giants just kind of hanging out around us and and I actually have trees in my life that I kind of, I know where they are and I make sure I drive along the roads. I'm always excited when I get to go to Altona because there's this massive tree at Logan Reserve, which I just love driving past. I also love guide dogs. I know it's a bit of a transition, but I love guide dogs because when I look at guide dogs, I think these guys are just doing the utmost with what they've got. Like, they, they, they can help people cross the road, they can stop at the right spot. Like, my kids can't do that. And, and they're just incredible, so intelligent. Uh, and, of course, I love cats as well. Now, if you've been with us at City on a Hill since the start, you know that this is a more recent thing. It's really only in the last few years since we got our, our cat, Michael, that I've, I've come to love cats. And so my Twitter feed now is basically politics, Reform theology and cat videos. It's a strange kind of combination, uh, but this is how I am. Now, as you can imagine, sometimes these loves compete against each other. So sometimes the wind doesn't like the trees and they blow them down, and, and that always makes me sad. And, and, and sometimes uh, dogs and cats don't get on well either. So uh, our cat in our old place actually used to bully the dog next door. And um, I always remember the neighbour coming around and saying, look, can you please look after your cat? And it made me feel like the police were knocking on the door saying, one of your sons has been arrested. Like, I was so ashamed by it. But these are some of my, my few of my favourite things. What are yours? And, and what do you think when you see these things? Like, do you think about where they come from? Is there someone or something behind it? Or are they there just randomly? Did they just kind of happen to become something? 
Uh, our reading today tells us that there is something behind all of these things, someone, Jesus Christ. Verse 16, by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Jesus made everything, everyone and everything that we see from, from the stars in the space to the caterpillars creeping across the ground, from, from the rings of Saturn to the tadpoles floating around in a pond, from the suns that scorch the furthest reaches of space to those weird little puffy fish in the deepest parts of the ocean and everything in between. God made all of these things. Jesus is the creator of all of this stuff. And today I want to explore what that means. What that means, first of all, for us, but also what it means about Jesus. In Romans 1, Paul writes that God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So creation is a, is a message to us from God, revealing who he is. So what do we see about Jesus from creation? Well, first of all, we see that Jesus is Lord of all things. He is the creator, and so he must be God because God is the creator. Scripture testifies that this world was made by God. Nehemiah 9, you are the Lord, you alone, you have made heaven, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. So Jesus, if he's the creator, must be God. And in fact, we're told here that God creates through Jesus. As we saw last week, there is one God, but we speak of a Godhead, one God who exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, the, the, the one God, same in substance, that equal in power and glory. Jesus is God, and he's the one through whom God chooses to create. So Jesus is God, is the creator, and this means that he is preeminent. He is the Lord of all things. You see, if you are ever to create something, you are superior to that, aren't you? You're more complex, more impressive than a, the story that you write or the song that you compose or the garden that you plant. Why? Because it depends on you for its existence. It wouldn't be there unless you had made that happen. And so it is with Jesus. John 1.4 says, in him was life. Jesus is the source of this. He, he gives us life. He is the source of life. We wouldn't be here if not for him. So you can imagine there's a kind of this great dividing line in the cosmos. On one side is the creator, and on, every, on the other side is the creation and creatures. Jesus is on this side. He was there in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. But hang on. So if you're observant, you might have noticed a little phrase at the back end of verse 15. Here's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. The firstborn. Now, if you're anything like me, you read that and you think, hang on, that, that raises questions. Because if Jesus was born, then surely he was created. And if Jesus was created, then surely there's something that wasn't made by him. If he created all things, he can't create himself. So, and then 
going deeper, surely that means that he's not God because God can't be created. So, so what does this phrase mean? See, there are some people who look at this verse and decide that Jesus was the first thing created. So the Jehovah's Witnesses, for instance, would, would say that Jesus was made before Adam. Uh, and so then he's ultimately not God. So this is a, a big, uh, an important kind of phrase for us to understand. And it turns out that this term firstborn has a, a different meaning to what we might instinctively think. The writer R. Kent Hughes explains that while firstborn can mean first child, it very often means first in rank or honour. So, for instance, in the Bible, God's people, the Jews, are, are often described as the firstborn. Not, not that they're the first nation created, but they're the most important. They're the ones that are so special to him. He's chosen people. Similarly, they were told that their Messiah would be the firstborn. Psalm 89, I will make him the firstborn. Why? Because he will be the highest of the kings on earth. He, he'll, he'll be preeminent. He'll be supreme. And it's the same logic here in Colossians 1. As one writer puts it, he's saying that Christ is not first in time, but first in authority. And so far from kind of undermining the power and authority of Jesus, by calling him the firstborn, he's actually emphasising that Jesus is preeminent, that he is supreme, that he is the Lord of all. And this is so important because of the context. You might, you might remember last week that I mentioned that uh, the letter to the church at Colossae uh, was written by Paul because they had started to waver on who Jesus was. He'd helped plant the church about 10 years before this letter was written uh, and kind of told them who Jesus was, they'd come to faith and belief in him. But since then, there'd been other teachers who'd kind of crept in and said, oh, look, he's Jesus is not enough. You need something more. He's not impressive enough. And here's Paul's answer. Well, yes, Jesus is impressive. He's the firstborn. He is the preeminent one. He is God himself. He is your creator. And you can't get any bigger or more impressive than that. And I think it's an important message for us too. Again, as I said last week, uh, in our culture, we've kind of domesticated Jesus. He's just this nice chap who said nice things, or he's a, a, go a good social reformer who's worthy of imitation or something like that. But no, we're told here that there is something bigger. He's something extraordinary. He's God himself. That's probably why Paul talks about thrones and dominions and rulers and authorities. Uh, there's been some efforts made to try and identify exactly which, what are the thrones, what are the authorities. Uh, some people think that it's kind of uh, describing the hierarchy of the angels. So in the scriptures we read about cherubims and seraphim and so on, it could well be that case. But I don't think we need to get hung up on that. The big point is whatever is out there, visible and invisible, physical and spiritual, angels and humans, Jesus made them all. And so he is superior to them all. He made everything and rules everything. So that's the first thing we see. And then the second thing we see is that Jesus is a good creator. Psalm 104, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom have you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Here is the sea, great and wide, which teems with creatures innumerable, living things, both small and great. God has this extraordinary breadth of creation. And do you know what I most love about creation? I think I love God's creativity, <laughs> just the diversity in our creation. There's so much that's fascinating about nature. 
Did you know, for instance, that there's a tree called the acacia tree? Uh, it's in Africa. Uh, it grows on the savannas of, of Africa. And it can warn other trees of danger. So, so basically, it, it's sitting there in the savannah, and uh, an antelope might come up and start eating uh, some of the, the fruit of this tree. And so it produces this thing called tannin, which actually uh, the antelope doesn't like. It's almost poisonous for them. And so it starts to run off. But So it's protecting itself with this tannin that it's producing. But not only that, when the antelope starts to attack it, it also produces this gas, which goes off into the air to the neighboring acacia tree, warning it to prepare that there's this antelope on the loose. Extraordinary. Did you know that armadillos are bulletproof? <laughs> if you shoot an armadillo, it'll bounce back. A Texan, you won't be surprised it was a Texan, he discovered this. Uh, it hit him in the face, a bullet hit him in the face. Did you know that your femur, your thigh bone, is stronger than concrete, four times as strong as concrete. I mean, don't test it, but <laughs> extraordinary. There's so many clever things about this, but also lots of fun and bizarre things in nature. Did you know, for instance, that goats have accents? They've discovered this. Did you know that nearly 3% of Antarctic glaciers is made up of penguin pee? <laughs> Do you know, a cow produces enough milk to give us 200,000 glasses of milk in its lifetime. Did you know that kangaroos can't fart? <laughs> that fleas can jump 350 times their body length? That hummingbirds are the only birds that can fly backwards? That crocodiles can't poke their tongue out? That otters sleep holding hands? The world is full of God's creation. It's teeming with God's creation. And what I love about this is so much of it is completely unnecessary. Like God doesn't have to do it like this. He could have just made birds and there's just one type of bird. But no, he had to create lots of different types of birds. And every time he makes a snowflake, he makes sure that it's got its own individual design, even though it'll melt in just a couple of minutes. There's no need for that. Or, or look at us. I mean, he could have made us just like Lego men. And I'm not talking about the current Lego men, which are all fancy. I'm talking about the 1980s Lego men, where you just had one skin colour, one look, one face, one haircut. He could have made us like that. But instead, he decided to draw out your own individual fingerprint. And he tied together billions of strands of DNA, this beautiful mosaic, just for you, just that you are unique. None of this is necessary, but he does it because he loves us. We are loved enough to be handcrafted. Psalm 139, you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. When we look at creation, when we look at ourselves, we see a loving creator, a God who loves to create and then loves the things, the people that he creates. How do you feel when, when you hear about these kinds of things, these, these amazing stats, or you reflect on how God has made you? Well, hopefully it makes you want to sing. 
You know, we're just saying, all creatures of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing. And that's the right response for us, isn't it? Psalm 104, I will sing to the Lord as long as I live. I will sing praises to my God while I have been. This is the natural response for us. When we see God's goodness, when we realise what we have, we want to praise him. And that actually points to the next thing that we see, that Jesus gives us meaning and purpose in life, the meaning and purpose that we find in praising him. So you often hear people talk about the meaning of life and try to discover how to live it, what's the goal, what's our purpose here. It's all the quest of human history and there's been lots of different uh, options or ideas presented throughout the ages. Plato said that the goal of life was to attain knowledge. Aristotle said it was all about happiness. Epicurus said it was about pleasure. Modern philosophers have suggested other things. Utilitarians say that good is whatever brings the greatest happiness to the greatest number of people. But others find the whole thing just totally absurd. Douglas Adams, in his novel, The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, imagines this advanced race of aliens who create this supercomputer called Deep Thought with the goal of answering the, the ultimate question of life, the universe and everything. For seven and a half million years, it purrs away trying to answer this question and finally it spits out the answer. What is the meaning of life? What is the answer to the question? 42, that's what it comes up with. And, of course, Douglas, he's, Adams is making a joke. You can't work out the meaning of life. There's no purpose to it. You can't find it. But that's not what we see here, is it? Here in Colossians 1, we just see that there is meaning and purpose in life and that we can find it. And we find it not in something, but we find it in someone. We find it in Jesus. Look at how verse 16 finishes. All things were created through him and for him. For him. That, that phrase could actually be translated to him or toward him. It's saying that there is a, there is a direction in creation. There, there is something where we're all headed towards. And what is it? It's, it's Jesus. As David Garland puts it, Christ is the converging point of the transcendent God's activity in the arena of human history. He is the interpretive key for understanding the meaning of creation, the purpose of life and its goal. He's the basic operating principle controlling existence. He's the the rationale of the universe. It's rhyme and it's reason. If you're looking for meaning in life, then you can find it in Jesus. And ultimately, it's by glorifying Jesus, by living with him and for him. The Westminster Shorter Catechism says, a man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him. That's what we're here for. That's our goal. To glorify God means literally to to feel the weight of his greatness, of his his goodness, to acknowledge his greatness, and then to to give him the honour that he's due. That's what we're called to do, to, to look at all of this remarkable creation, and then to praise him for it. But we're not just called to praise it. Well, in our praising, we're called to enjoy it, to celebrate it. James 1 says that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, 
And so all of these wonderful things that God has given us, the way that we glorify him is by enjoying them, by celebrating them. So God made strawberries tasty, so you're supposed to enjoy them. God made sunsets beautiful, so you're supposed to paint them. You're supposed to revel in his goodness. John Piper writes, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. That's what it means for us to glorify him, to to enjoy him, to enjoy all that he has given, to enjoy all that he has made us to be. You might remember last week I gave you some homework. I said we're all made in God's image. And, And we have this in lots of different ways, but we also have it in specific ways, unique to us. You glorify God when you revel in that, when you do that more and more. This is how we give him joy, when we celebrate what he has given us, what he has made for us. That's how we live for him. He's given us life. In him was life. He's given us life. And we give it back to him by living with him and for him. But perhaps that's where we start to stumble as well. You see, while there's something beautiful in this, this idea that we can have meaning and purpose, there's also something here that we might find confronting. See, we truly find that meaning when we're living with him and for him. And that starts to rub up against us because actually we want to live for ourselves and we want to define our meaning and our purpose. So for Jesus to decide that meaning, that starts to be the thing that confronts us. And I actually think that that's why so many people uh, choose to believe that there's actually no God. They look at creation and they don't see him. Whenever I watch a, a David Attenborough documentary, two things jump out at me. The first thing I see is the wonder of God's creation. It's just extraordinary. But then the second thing is this sense of letdown, this sense of confusion because David can't see it. He can't see that it's God's creation. Yeah, he's he's looking at some beautiful little thing. Oh, the ant lives here, and you know he's looking at this extraordinary thing, and and he's amazed by it. And then you, you, your heart is soaring. Isn't God incredible that He would do this? And then suddenly He lets you down. Oh, this has just been here for millions of years. It just happened by chance. There's something strange about this. See, the atheists would say that we're here just as a result of a, a billion random coincidences. A collision of atoms evolving over billions of years, unsupervised and impersonal. You're coming together in flesh and blood to to create people that that laugh and hug and create. This, to me, just doesn't make sense. To, To imagine that this extraordinarily complex system just emerged from Chaos, as if we're the, the benefit, the beneficiaries of some cosmic fluke. You know, one uh, scientist suggested that for all of this complex world to come together the way it has so perfectly would be like a, 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 a tornado going through a rubbish tip and then forming a Boeing 747. <laughs> like, that doesn't make sense. How does all of this random stuff come together to create something so perfect? 
surely it's actually easier to believe that there's someone behind it, an intelligent designer. As Francis Collins, head of the Human Genome Project, writes, the, the very fact that the universe had a beginning implies that someone was able to begin it. And in, in fact, even Stephen Hawking seems to agree. In one, at one point he writes, it would be very difficult to explain why the universe would have begun in just this way, except as the act of a God who intended to create beings like us. I mean, he's even <laughs> pointing towards it, but still holding back from believing it. Why would someone do this? See, to me, there's a kind of a willful determination not to believe in God, to avoid him. And in fact, that's exactly what's happening. The scientist Francis Crick writes, biologists must constantly keep in mind what th that what they see is not designed but rather evolved. He's saying we have to be disciplined, we have to keep telling ourselves that this is just by chance rather than design. Or as the Harvard professor Richard Lewinton acknowledges, our adherence to material causes is absolute for we cannot allow a divine foot in the door. It's like we have to keep God out. It's hard, but we just have to keep him out. But why? Well, it's because as soon as we acknowledge God as our creator, then we have to acknowledge that uh, he deserves to set the meaning and the purpose of our lives as well. If we acknowledge that he gives us life, then we also have to acknowledge that he deserves that life from us, that he deserves all the glory rather than ourselves. Romans 1 speaks of those who suppress the truth of God. What can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. I mean, God is obviously there, but people refuse to acknowledge him. Although they knew God, they did not honour him as God or give thanks to him. They're, they're desperately trying to keep the divine foot out of the door. But when we try to exclude our creator from his creation, then we're left with something terribly hollow and sad. Bertrand Russell was a very famous philosopher and atheist in the 20th century. He summarised the, the place of humanity in the cosmos like this. Man is a product of causes which had no prevision of the end that they were achieving. His origin, his growth, his hopes, his fears, his loves, his beliefs, are but the outcome of accidental collocations of atoms. No fire, no heroism, no intensity of thought and feeling can preserve an individual life beyond the grave. And all the labours of the ages, all the devotion, all the inspiration, all the brightness of human genius are de destined to extinction in the vast death of the solar system. Only within the scaffolding of these truths, only on the firm foundation of unyielding despair, can the soul's habitation be safely built. <laughs> It's life-affirming stuff. But this is what you have if you exclude God from the equation. Or consider what Richard Dawkins says, the universe is bleak, cold and empty. Well, it is if you take the creator out of it. But we can't do that. As C.S. Lewis says, we may ignore God but we can nowhere evade his presence. The world is crowded with him. And it is, isn't it? 
He's everywhere. His presence, his goodness is everywhere. And so wouldn't it be better for us to humble ourselves and to acknowledge our creator, to trust him ultimately, trust that he's good, trust that he's made us and knows what's best for us, and then to walk in the way that he's set for us. That's what God calls us to. And, of course, that is the thing that we find most difficult, to truly trust God, to trust his character, to trust his wisdom. That's the, the problem that humanity had in the Garden of Eden, and it's the same question we've asked every day since. Can we trust this God? And I want to suggest to us as we come towards a close that we can trust Jesus because, fourthly, Jesus is committed to his creation. See, when you recognise that Jesus is the creator, the gospel story becomes even more beautiful. Just think about it. Jesus created us. With all of the complexity and the beauty that I've been talking about tonight, he created you for himself to live with him and for him. He, he designed you so that you could experience his goodness, to be satisfied by him, to, to walk in the garden of his delight and, and to, to celebrate everything that he has for us. That's what he created us for. And then he watched as we rejected him. He gave us every good thing and then we walked away from him. I remember when I was a kid uh, having a birthday party and as one of my friends pulled up at the curb, I raced out to the car, grabbed the present that they had for me and ran back inside. Didn't say hi, <laughs> didn't say thank you, certainly didn't read a card. Thankfully, my parents pulled me aside <laughs> and explained that's not how you do things. But it was incredibly ungrateful, wasn't it? But that's the very thing that we have done to God. He created us and gave us everything, offered us everything, every good gift. And we just took it and ran away and ignored him. But the glory of our Jesus is that even though we did that, our creator still loves us. He made us for himself. We've wandered away from that. So he goes after us to bring us back. That's the wonder of the incarnation, that Jesus, the eternal son of God, stepped into this world. Though he was in the form of God, he did not account equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, Philippians 2, by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man. The Jesus who made all of the stars stepped into the world. The, the author walked into his own story. The creator, in a sense, became a creature. A baby formed in the womb, a child who had to learn how to speak and read and write and was helpless in his crib, crying. A man who would experience hunger and thirst and tiredness. That's what our creator did. He stepped in and then he went even further. Philippians 2 continues, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
You see, our rebellion, our, our defiance of God has separated us from him. It's exposed us to God's judgment. Justice demands that our sin is dealt with. But here our creator takes it on himself to redeem us, to restore us. He takes the punishment that we deserve. Our creator dies on our behalf. The one in whom was life, the one who gave life to us, then gives his life for us so that we could be forgiven and accepted. And that's still, there's still more. Colossians 3, we're given a new self. And so the the God who created us in the first place now starts to recreate us to once more make us into people who will live with him and for him and who will one day experience the glories of a new world that he will create for us. That's how much our creator loves us. He makes us, when we sin, he comes after us. He gives himself for us. He begins things again. This is how much Jesus loves you. And so now are we willing to trust him? To trust that his way is the best way. That the one who designed us actually knows what's best for us. And that it's worth walking with him. St. Augustine said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Have our hearts rested in him? Have we come home to our creator? He made you. He loves you. He knows what's best for you. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you as your creation. We are awestruck, gobsmacked, thankful that you chose to give us life. In Jesus was life and you have given life to us. And you want that life to be lived with you and for you. We confess, Father, that we don't do that. Constantly we walk away on our own. We take the gift that you've given us and run away from you, ignoring you and trying to make our own life. Forgive us for that. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to make it possible for us to be forgiven and for us to be remade. So, Lord, help us to live our lives honouring you, enjoying you, glorifying you. You are a good creator. You're a good designer. Help us to follow your wisdom and to enjoy everything that you've made. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.